Okay, hello. Hello. That's a good way. Okay, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. For those hearing only the audio and not seeing the live streams, you don't know what idiots we are. I think by now they probably have a pretty good idea. We've, so. we've tipped our hand straight along. So. We're really not fooling anybody at this no, point. No, we are, of course, the home of professional podcasting. Um, my glasses are very reflecty today in all of the our live streaming medias. Well, how about not, that? Not a fan. They look great in the audio. Yeah. Uh, hello. <laughs> let's be. Let's told let's many do, times I have a great face for radio. Let's do something real. Yes, let's. Let's talk about life together. That's what we're doing right now. <clears throat> yes. Ain't so, it? It is. So uh, as we're continuing through the book of Acts, we are uh, taking just a, a little bit, and we talked about this a bit in, in something to think about, to, to kind of hover here and dig down a little bit on the idea of the church. And we'll look at this again uh, after this, at least next week, and, and uh, still wrestling with whether I'm going to split that into two or, or try to get it all in one, but... Anyhow, as we're working through this, we, we went back to the summary statements that we see in the first uh, few chapters here of Acts. We see specifically in, in chapter 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2, um, a good summary picture of what's happening in the early church. And then again, a similar one uh, at the end of chapter 4. And uh, <clears throat> so as we see this, the core reality that that we drew from it is, is that the church is united by the reality of Christ and committed to reflecting him together. So just to kind of catch us up on what we're looking at in Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 42 and following, the NIV, uh, the 84 edition of the NIV says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we see this, there were some, some uh, specific commitments that we see in this devotion uh, right there in verse 42, that they devoted themselves to, to four specifically cited things here. Uh, and we see them connecting over what, what I would call a, a common commitment. It starts with their discipline of doctrine, uh, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And uh, the apostles are, are teaching what Jesus taught. They're, they're right. taking what Jesus had taught to them, uh, primarily the message of the gospel and the connection between the Old Testament scriptures that, that had been accepted uh, among the Jews already and what God had said from Genesis through Malachi um, and connecting the dots just as Jesus did with how those things are fulfilled in Messiah and how even the pictures of suffering are uh, pictures of the Messiah and even required. And so you, you're going to see a lot of the, um, the, the same dynamic that we see in Peter's first sermon. Uh, we see in Stephen uh, coming up in a chapter or two here uh, where we're looking at, here's what God has always been doing, but it isn't finished. It's, it comes to its completion in Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so Christ, the Messiah, uh, fulfills all of that and is yet to come in, in, filling it, in fulfilling the end of days um, but but it's not a new religion. It's a continuation of what God had always been doing. So that's the, the message of the apostles. 
and uh, they became known as people of the book. And I think that's a fantastic distinction for us as well today is to be able to look at um, to be able to look at our characteristic, uh, what makes us, what, what binds us together. And to be able to have people look at us and say, they are really committed to the scripture. Mm-hmm. They're just fanatical about paying attention to God's word. I, I would wear that any day of the week. I mean, that, right. that's a great thing. So they're devoted to, uh, to the apostles' teaching. They're, they're, they have this common commitment that connects them uh, over the discipline of doctrine. And then we see also that they're, they're, they're committed to the body of believers, uh, 42 says they're, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, this, this connectedness, the koinonia, the, uh, that, that they would have one mind. In fact, in, in the summary in chapter 4, it says they're of one heart and mind. So they're, they're all together, but they're not just together physically. They're together as far as their vision and understanding of, of what's going on. The Holy Spirit has worked uh, this unity among them and is continuing to work that unity among them. And yet we will see as we get through the book of Acts and as we go through the rest of the New Testament, that the honeymoon period goes away fairly quickly. Well, I was going to ask that not to get too far off here as you're, yeah. as you're going through this, but <clears throat> that certainly doesn't appear to be the case today within the body of right. believers. Yeah, you yeah. Know? There's some, there are some real issues with that. And again, one of the things that, that is beautiful about Scripture is that the Lord doesn't leave out the, the ugly parts. There, right. you know, we see the full picture of warts and all. Your mom was asking me about some of the horrors that we see in the Old Testament stories. Yeah, you know, it's intense. Yeah, and she's up through, uh, I don't know if she's finished First Samuel, but she's in Samuel somewhere. She's moving right along. She's cruising. <clears throat> and uh, just astonished at the, the killings and the horrible things that, that take place. She did ask. She's like, why, why include that? Right, yeah. And, and that's part of what God is showing us, that the way we live when we pursue our own ends, that's dramatically different than the standard that God has for us, the way he created the, the earth to begin with, where we have no conflict. And I was just talking with the youth group about the, what's the point of uh, at the end of uh, Genesis 1 uh, or, or Genesis 2 when uh, the man and the woman are, are together there at the end of Genesis 2 and it says that they're naked and unashamed. That always struck me as like, this is weird. You know, as a kid, I'm like, <laughs> naked, you know, and Kids are going to have that tendency. I think adults... a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Thank you very much. (laughs) But adults do that same thing. It's like, oh, we can't do it. It's naked. Let's just read past that. And we do a lot of that in Scripture. That's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Let's move past it. But there was a point. It wasn't... The focus was not on the physicality of it. And, and that's where we get really hung up in, when we're talking about marriage and sexuality and family. We get hung up on... Yeah, people on, don't even like to hear that. Oh, yeah. Th- that, those, that, those words. Right. Yeah, in know, a church. Like, oh, that, hey, can't, like, can't preach about that. Um, and maybe that's why this world system, this anti-God world system, is winning the day culturally because we won't talk about things like that in church. Or we talk about it and we don't have the Bible's perspective. We have the world's perspective as we're doing it. So then we are approaching Scripture thinking through the lens of the world rather than approaching the world thinking through the lens of Scripture. So anyway, in, in Genesis 2, the the focus is relational. So it's mm-hmm. talking about that they're naked. Well, they... They, it's not like they were dumb, you know, they, they were innocent. They weren't dumb. They knew they didn't have clothes on. They didn't have shame over it because it was kind of like a baby 
you know, where you run around naked and you don't care, you don't know. Right. A baby knows and doesn't clothes on. But but it's not a shameful it's sort not, of thing because it's not about that. Mm-hmm. So the the connotation there is that they are naked unto one another. There's nothing between them. There's nothing to hide. There's no guile. There's no uh, you know if if they got cold and put on a blanket, they wouldn't be less naked right. to one another. Right. There's a relational aspect between the between each other and between them and God. So we see that that uh, division come up whenever we start to go our own way sin divides sin divides us from god it divides us from one another and we end up with all the things that we see in the old testament we end up with the divisions that we see in churches uh that that divide us i was just at a, a ministerial association meeting today right before we came in here um and as we're together we've got you know pastors from a variety of different denominations and we disagree starkly mm-hmm. on a number of issues um some more important than others, but but there's a great deal of disagreement, and yet we can sit down together and not be divided, not not be you know looking at one another with a jaundiced eye. You know, it's a oh, right. terrible person. Now there are things that we wouldn't do together because we don't share those things, but we do share a common commitment to to reflecting Christ in the world uh, in in one form or another. In the same way, these early disciples. The, the 12, the apostles, plus the, the 120 that were there together when they received the Holy Spirit, plus the 3,000 that were gathered when Peter preached, plus the, the additional, there are over 5,000 together as they're going through it. All of these folks are united in their common commitment to Christ. So their common commitment to Christ then is reflected in their common commitment to one another. They're invested in one another. They see each other as a family, as the body of Christ. And that's what Paul will use as a picture later on in, in Romans and 1 Corinthians. They see each other in terms of being united, being the bride of Christ together, being uh, a, a, a temple, being built out of living stones. They're, they're seeing that. Maybe they don't see the specifics that will come up in the later epistles yet, but their investment in one another is so complete uh, that it shows up in how they handle their stuff. They're, they're not interested in promoting my own agenda, but promoting the agenda together of the gospel. And that was the third uh, thing that we see in verse 42, that they're, they connect over a common commitment to the gospel of grace. And in 42, it refers to uh, them breaking bread, the the taking of communion the lord's supper as they're gathered here um, the apostles teaching the fellowship the breaking of bread and as they're doing this they are constantly meeting we see um, shortly after this they're they're meeting together daily in the temple courts but they're not just meeting together daily in the temple courts that's kind of the formal gatherings that they would have hey we're all going to meet at the temple court let's talk about jesus while we'll preaching we'll have some group singing all that kind of stuff but they're also breaking bread together in homes. They're, you know, basically the picture that we get is that every day, in everything that they do, whether formal or informal gatherings, they are together, centered on the gospel of grace. They're they're united in understanding that that what holds us together is that we, as Paul would say later, that we are we eat of one loaf, we partake of one loaf, we drink of one cup. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're all in this together. And whatever the individual differences are, maybe, you know, Jimmy Joe ran over my cat, you know, 
I, I miss my cat. I'm really sorry about that. But my connection to him in Christ is so much greater and stronger than my pet, my, my family, my, my pride, my job, whatever else, whatever right. wrongs have been done to me, they pale in comparison to the cross. And we're so united in remembering what Jesus did for us. And that's one of the core purposes that, that we can see in the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or the Remembrance Celebration. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, what does that mean? It means remember what I'm telling you now. This is my body. My body is broken for you. I am going to, as Isaiah 53 said, take, I'm going to carry your transgressions. I'm going to take away your affliction by wearing the stripes on my back. So he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel. We have this, this thing here in the element of the bread, in the element of the cup passes the cup and he says this is my body this is a or this is my blood this is a new covenant written in my blood it's poured out for you on your behalf when you drink this you're doing it in remembrance of me so in partaking together of what we might call communion or, or the remembrance celebration however we do that the purpose is to remember Christ to remember that what purchases our freedom what, what gives us life is his death he took that from us. It's not something that we do to earn. It's not, it's not you know, keeping the law and, and checklist theology where if I do this and I don't do that and I do this and I don't do that, then I'll be good enough for God. It's the opposite. It's seeing that these are required and I can't possibly do it. Right. But Jesus took all of my failure, all of my shame, all of my sin, all of my, my rebellious willfulness, and he wore that. He became my sin at the cross so that I can have life in him. I died with him so that I can be raised to a new life in him. And then we look at, at you know, the, shoot, all of the New Testament, but especially I, I really love the way it's pictured for us in Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters there, where it gives us this picture of who we are in Christ and what it means to be in Christ. That, that essentially, to, to borrow from Neil Anderson and, and others, what is spiritually true of Christ is spiritually true of you. Mm-hmm. If you are in Christ, you're, you're seated with him in the heavenlies. God has blessed you with every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. So all of the reality of Christ, the eternal reality of, of his sonship is now our sonship, our daughtership in your case, you know, but, but this. It's 2021. Yeah. They're, they're, no, it's 2020. Yikes. Can identify as 2021 there at once. Uh, as we, as we go through life, God on the cross saw, when he looked at Christ, uh, when he looked at Christ on the cross, what he saw was our sin. Mm-hmm. So now when he looks at us, what he sees is Christ. Our sin's been removed. This cosmic trade that took place is the hinge point. That's the center of everything in the church. So we can't be a church if we're centered on fellowship activities and hospitality we can't be a church if we're centered on social justice and you know eliminating the coronavirus and and all all the things that we get focused in on we can't be a church if we're about our facilities and making beautiful art and all that kind of stuff 
we can do all of those things, but the center point of everything is the gospel of grace, Jesus Christ himself. He is the head over the church. It's his church. We are his bride. And very, that's really important for us to see. It's very easy to get caught up in all of that other Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. And and I think that's one of the one of the reasons that the Lord gave us this ritual of the remembrance celebration or the Lord's Supper uh, is to remind us, to refocus us, to, to humble us so that we get outside of our own agenda mm-hmm. and get focused on Him. And so the early church is doing this constantly. They're constantly remembering and focusing on the the reality and the centrality of the gospel of grace. So they're, they're connecting over this common commitment to the discipline of doctrine, the body of believers, or the gospel of grace. And then lastly, in, in that verse, we see them committed to the priority of prayer. Uh, that They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And this idea of the priority of prayer links us with Christ's priorities. And if we are going to be Christ's followers, then what's important to Jesus needs to be important to us as well. So Jesus focused his attention on prayer, not the kind of prayer that that we focus on a lot of the time. So much of the time we we talk about the power of prayer and I just I'm going to offend somebody, I'm sure of it, but I don't want to offend anybody. I just want us to see reality. Yeah. I really don't. I, 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 I'm not interested in offending anyone for, for the sake of offense. Right. But it is important for us to recognize that sending people prayers is not useful. This is not helpful. Like it's a if postcard. I, if I'm, right, I'm, I'm sending you positive vibes and good, good thoughts and I'm sending you prayers. That tells me right now that you're not actually I never understood that even from a logistical point of view. Like how do you send prayers or how do you how do you right. send positive you vibes know, and sometimes it's just a matter of confusion but uh, you know because i'm sending prayers right, to god I get on it. your I get behalf it. and all that i get it but generally speaking what what we're doing is we're losing sight of what prayer is mm-hmm. prayer is an interactive relationship with god himself which we do not have the right to do and i i think maybe we miss out on this we were created for prayer we were the entire universe was created specifically so that we as humans, and you know, the folks that that uh, might disagree with this can can call me. I'll be at home, and we can talk about it. But call the, me. The the reality of Don't it is, all of our entire creation exists for the glory of God. He created us as the pinnacle of that glory, the pinnacle of that creation, so that we could engage in an intimate relationship with him, a unified walking in the cool of the garden or in the cool of the evening in the garden, that that kind of a relationship, naked and unashamed with God. But sin separates us from that. Because of our sin, we don't have the right to approach God. We we don't have the right to stand before him and ask anything. That's ridiculous. And when Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, he's not talking to you know, if you use these this formula right. of words, if you have a relationship because of this, then you can, on my behalf, in my name, in, in my stead, using my credentials, you can approach the Father because you are then in me. And in me, when you pray to God, it's as if I am speaking to my Father. So we have that relationship through Christ and really only through Christ. Right. The rest is, is nothing more than the formulaic saying of words that, that so many of us do. And so when we fall into the idea with prayer of, you know, here's my, my special prayer formula, or we recite the Lord's Prayer, there's nothing wrong with, with 
reciting or reading a prayer from the scripture, praying God's word back to him. I think those are wonderful things to do. Even memorized prayers. There are some some fantastic formulaic prayers that can be really terrific interaction, terrific interaction with God. But the point is not getting stuff from him. The point is interacting with him in a relationship. I think a similar uh, approach to that is when you see some or hear somebody and they seem to pray so eloquently or they seem to have all the right words. And I think for me anyway, that uh, witnessing that with other people has often led me to kind of draw away from public prayer or in groups like I I might stumble with my words or say the wrong thing or my prayer won't be good enough and I struggle with that still I I know in my heart of hearts that that's not the case and that's not what matters and if we're honest with ourselves that that really becomes a performance that's what I was gonna say it's 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 more about how other people are think of me how are they gonna take it rather than I'm talking to my daddy and you happen to be with me I shouldn't care what everybody else in this room might think about right yeah if I'm you know, if there are people around and I'm having a conversation with my dad, I'm right. I don't care I what you think. Because I pray at home and it's no problem, and I, right. it's you know this casual you know whatever thing, and it almost feels like I'm just having a conversation with right. with you know somebody I love and someone who loves me. But when I'm in front of people, it's like I gotta say the right things or you know it, can't it is, fumble over my words. There's so much that we could talk about regarding prayer right and, and i'm sure still that's an entire get to the end of another it. thing because there are a lot of, i'll be honest there are a lot of things about prayer i don't fully get like even why other than you know why am i pouring out my needs to a sovereign god who is also all-knowing he, he knows these things well yeah before so, you before they leave your mouth right. he knows them so why right well, the, ultimately, the reason is the relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go to God and say, God, can you help me with this problem? I'm really struggling here. And he goes, whoa, I didn't know. Right, because he already knows that. <laughs> right. So why does he then command us to pray? Why does he expect this? Well, he expects it because he's a father who wants to have his children talk And to even him. Jesus prayed, and Jesus was God. Absolutely. So, so And there's a total unity right. between them. There's this oneness between the father and the son. And yet... The interaction, the relational interaction that takes place, that's a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. So this is the key to our worship is, is, you know, if we look at prayer in a broader sense than just words that we're saying, you know, our, it's, it has everything to do with our interactive relationship with God. That because we are in Christ, because of what he did for us at the cross, because he rose from the dead, because the Holy Spirit has now indwelt us as believers, now God lives in us. We died with Christ. Now we are hidden, uh, hidden with God in Christ. So all of the reality here is that there's a relationship. There's an accepted, intimate relationship with God. They get that. They don't get it perfectly because none of us get it perfectly. Right. But they're devoted to it. And the, and the idea of this devotion that I think maybe we miss out on in, in evangelical world today is that it's... It's not doing to try to earn favor with God. It's not, you know, by grace you're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not by works of righteousness that we've done, according to what Paul writes to Titus. It's not not according to our righteousness, but according to God's mercy. That's it. End of story, period. However, the what it takes in a relationship, like any relationship, is a devotion, a choice, to continue in these things, mm-hmm. I, you know, I adore my wife, I adore my children, and my grandchildren, and you know, I, I have these relationships. But I can easily neglect those relationships. Mm-hmm. 
I'm still in that same relationship. It doesn't change. If I don't talk to my son for a couple of months, he's still my son. I'm still his father. That doesn't change. But our intimacy changes dramatically. Sure. That, you know, that, that fellowship, that kinship requires a certain amount of devotion. And sometimes that means I have to make a choice to say, hey, you know what? I really want to watch this TV show, but it would be better time for me to spend calling my son. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to make a phone call. I, if my son happens to be listening to this, I'm sorry I haven't called him. That's so great. <laughs> but, you could say hi right now. I but, just killed you. Hello. Stuff. <laughs> but, the, but the reality of it is that's the same thing when we right. pray. Yeah. I, I, and when I say pray, I'm including reading the word. That, that's part of it. Not, not reading for information, but daddy's talking to me. I need to listen. If, if my father writes me a note, I want, I want to read it. I want to pay attention to it. When I interact with him in prayer, when I interact with him in song, when we clean get, your room, <laughs> when we gather together as the body, yeah. as a fancy family gathering to communicate our affection, our love, our devotion to our Father. But devotion is more than affection; it involves affection. Devotion is a choice; it's mm-hmm. a commitment. Mm-hmm. And so we see the church con- connecting together in in bonding, in an eternal, intimate, joyful way over these common commitments that, that they see, okay, this is a priority for us. It's not the only things they do, but these are central to be able to be focused on, on the, the discipline of doctrine, getting to understand the teachings of the scriptures better. Right. And so they have the apostles with them. They're going to sit down and tell me more. Tell me more about Jesus. I, you know, what did I miss in those three years that I wasn't with you and you got to spend every waking hour with him? Help me see how the how the Old Testament connects to this. To be able to to be committed to one another, to the body of believers, to say, man, you know, I'm going to prioritize the bride of Christ. I'm going to prioritize the body of Christ the same way he does. Mm. He went to the cross for right. us. He serves the body. He serves the bride. And and in that same way, this is why the picture that, that we see in, in uh, Colossians and Ephesians about husbands and wives submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is the call for all of us in the church. But but as we see that picture, Paul specifically points out in, in Ephesians 5, you have the role to play of as the as the bride, as the wife, to display, to to play out on this cosmic stage what the church is like in its submission to Christ. And the husband, then, you have the role to play. Uh, Again, you're playing a role on a cosmic stage for the world to see, for your children to see, for your wife to see. What is Christ like in his interaction with the church? How does he love his church? That's how we're supposed to love our wives. Well, he does that by laying his life down, by serving her. Not just to give her what she wants, Mm -hmm. but to make her holy, to bring her before the Father and present her as holy and blameless. That's what Christ does with the church. Well, if he has that kind of commitment to the church, can we have less as his followers? If we're here to be a reflection of the reality of Christ, then doesn't that reflection of Christ mean that our priority, our prioritizing the church should be an actual reflection of his prioritizing the church? We don't do that. Church is what we tend to do when we have to fill in gaps, when we don't have work or or we're not doing something else. 
you know, if it's not inconvenient, then then we'll connect. And so often we have this consumer mentality that we go to church on Sunday morning and we get a show. You know, we right. we do the song. Boy, the band is really good today. You know, uh, you know, the sermon really connected today. But it, it's it's literally like going to a show. It, it's the the difference between being a dancer and a dance team on the stage, or being out in the crowd watching the dancer and the dance team on the stage. As the church, we are the dance team. We are to be doing our part, playing our role, you know, in in this cast or playing our particular part in this orchestra or you know blocking our assignment on our on our football team here we're participants not observers not consumers and the picture that that we see here of them committed to doctrine committed to one another committed to the gospel and committed to interacting in this relationship with god uh, is a picture of participation not of consumer mentality observation it's a big group project it is and you know it's funny you know this inside joke sort of thing for us you and my wife and you know a lot of our high achieving friends hated group projects in school but why did you hate group projects in school because you got stuck with the work you're having to carry the load or you you told everyone else just i'll do it (laughs) because they're dragging you down right right but when you have a teacher who's specifically grading not just on the output right. but on the interaction right. and, and coaching you through that, then you get to see the purpose of these group mm-hmm. projects. And so in the church, one of the reasons people have had such a bad experience is because when you have a group project with a couple of people doing the work and the, the rest being consumers, hey, you just preach to me. You, know, you just play for right. me. You go and do this. And... You know, I did my time on Sunday morning, so right. I don't have to do anything else. Right. Rather than the joyful participation of, hey, you know what? I can't wait to get together with other believers to reflect Christ accurately and actively in the world around us. That kind of group project, you know, is it's a lot different. And college, I think, is different than high school, too. It when is. you When it you're is. in there working in your major with right. people who are there by choice, paying money who helps, paying money to be in a class, so you're there by choice, and they're excited. Now you've got, instead of, here's this assignment we have to do, you got five people in your group who are all pumped about this, and they can't wait. Let's tear into this. And you know, you're talking late at night, and you, you have breakfast in the morning, you're talking more about it, you're excited about this project. That's the group project picture that we see in the church in, in Acts chapter 2, and that's what we're called to. We will stop there for today, uh, but we will, like as always, if you have any questions or, or any input on this discussion, uh, feel free to shoot us an email, send us a message on Facebook, uh, and we're going to stay kind of in this zone for another week or so. Yeah, next week we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit in the church. Okay, thank you guys for listening. <laughs>